1: Hi, I'm Caroline and I'm Anna and this is Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman.
2: another episode of Seriously. The first thing we're going to talk about this week is Rihanna's Bitch Better Have My Money video. We just thought we'd go straight in with it because it's basically the only thing that people have been talking about on the internet for about four days. So just to recap a little bit about what the video is, if you haven't seen it, it contains a lot of violence, sexual violence, nudity, so let's just get that on the table before we say anything. So if you think that that, you're going to be particularly sensitive to that, maybe this isn't the part of the podcast for you, I don't know. The plot of the video is based on a semi-real thing in Rihanna's life, which was that in 2009, one of her accountants lost her a lot of money. Whether he stole it or not, I think, is, is something different. But it was decided by a court that he'd made bad financial decisions on her behalf. And in this video, it's a revenge fantasy where she kidnaps a woman with two friends. They strip her naked, they put her into the trunk of their car. They do all kinds of weird and not very nice things to her. And then uh it's they're sort of a reveal at the end, spoiler alert, that actually the person she's trying to get at is this male accountant who's the husband presumably of the kidnapped woman. And there's this incredible scene where she puts on all this clear latex, picks a weapon and like approaches him and then all we see is her splattered in blood at the end. So it's uh, <laughs> it's quite a roller coaster. It is very violent. I'm here with Caroline and we've also got June here who uh, wrote a piece for us uh, about the video. June, what were your thoughts?
3: I think first I'd like to say that there were moments in the video that I really liked, so bits where Rihanna seemed to be owning her sexuality, especially as a black woman because that's not something we expect women to do and I felt that was quite revolutionary. I wasn't a big fan of the video. I don't mind the song, but I didn't really like the video because I thought that whatever rihanna's intentions were the violence that she used um towards the accountant's wife i've heard girlfriend but the other the woman basically was used as like a method to try and get back at her male accountant and i find it really interesting that although at the end we, the assumption is that she does murder the man to so the accountant who screwed her over throughout the video the person who goes through the most violence the most torture is the woman, and I think it really placed that idea that to get back at men, you kind of pun- punish a woman. And she's kind of using the same misogynistic tropes that have been used in games, in television, in other music videos. This doesn't necessarily mean that Rihanna's a misogynist or that it, her videos have to be feminist, which I've seen being brought up um over the last few days. But I do think it's important that even though she might not make music for young people... Her audience are, there are a lot of young girls who listen to her music, people like my sister who think that now hanging a woman upside down and torturing her while completely naked is, quote, cool, when it's really not. That sort of misogyny is in popular culture, and I'm quite tired of it being used as, like, something to joke about because, actually, misogyny is quite dangerous. It leads to women being killed, it leads to sexual violence, and I think the conversation around it is almost being trivialised with this sort of video.
1: Yeah, I think there's there's an interesting bit to that, which is that um, some of the reaction to the video has very heavily blamed Rihanna for this, whereas my reading of it was that she's operating in the kind of misogynist patriarchal system that we all are. Um, whilst I would really, really agree with you that I don't like the idea that in order to get back at a man, you have to torture his woman, that she's in the same way that you might like, mess up his car, she's his possession to be defiled um, I do think that she didn't invent that idea, that is part of part of the culture already, she's just sort of you could argue that she's glamorising it in a way that isn't particularly nice but she didn't originate that thought. Yeah, definitely
2: To answer that idea that she's operating in a system of oppression, a lot of commentators have focused in on the fact that Rihanna as a black woman is trying to reclaim some power over white oppressors the beginning of the video obviously it's really emphasized that they're white because all their stuff is white and she's putting on all these white clothes and Rihanna's sort of out there in the dark in her more grungy outfit. Um, Actually that's
1: something you mentioned to me earlier that uh, Rihanna arri- when she- Rihanna's arriving in her truck outside the house it seems to be night time outside but then when you get you see the shots inside the flat it seems to be daytime.
2: Yeah I think they're trying I think there's some point trying to be made there about underground counterculture which is sort of the hip-hop tradition that Rihanna belongs to in this sort of very mainstream white establishment. So June I wonder what you think about the idea that some of the some of the power dynamics are changed by the fact that Rihanna's black and the woman she's attacking is white.
3: Yeah I've read lots um, across the internet which has said that Basically, what Rihanna's done here is really empowering and it's new because Rihanna's reversed the, reversed the role. So instead of a white woman having power over a black woman, it's then Rihanna having, as a black woman, having power over a white woman. And I've read that she's trying to comment on historic oppression of black women by white women and mm-hmm. how um for black women there is no real difference between the white man and the white woman because essentially they treat them exactly the same and I get that but what what I'm not completely happy with is if you do want to comment on race relations history historic oppression of black women and put that whole kind of intersectionality spin on this I really don't think that going through sexualized Torture and violence is the way forward because no matter, because I feel like that sort of element is almost being slightly lost. In what Rihanna was trying to do, because there's been a lot of focus now on the fact that this is—is is it too violent? Is it too misogynistic? And I think there are very few people who are actually—and it's mostly back women talking about that kind of aspect of it. So I think if Rihanna was trying to make a point about that, using women's bodies and using violence, I don't per- i don't personally think was the way forward to get that message across. Because any time you do that, and any time you inflict violence, then you're 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 displaying that sexism, whether or not. It's something that you intended to do, but that's kind of the message she's getting across. And I feel like that argument about race relations and all of that. The average person is not going to watch Rihanna's video and be like, oh, my God, Rihanna's commenting on how black women were oppressed by white women. Like, they're not. They're just going to see, oh, my God, it, oh, my goodness, it's gory, it's violent. Um, some parts are too sexualized. Some I think it's titillating. Those are the sorts of things that people are going to think, and those are the sorts of messages they're going to pick up from that. So I think I'm not saying it's her fault because she does have a right as an artist to create what she wants, but I do think there is an aspect that she could have done it better.
2: Um, yeah, I wondered if you would talk a little bit about, you said you've had some responses, people saying you've traded in your blackness. Um,
3: I think, I think we spent a lot of time talking about, I personally spent a lot of talking about Rihanna. I mean, I had a nightmare about Rihanna two days ago. (laughs) There's just been too much Rihanna in my life lately. (laughs) But yeah, I think I'm kind of used to that kind of notion of it's kind of women of color expected to pick a side. So like pick the side if you're a woman or like pick, like the fact that you're black and especially in america this kind of thing of race solidarity so you've got to like stick to your race and i'm really quite tired of seeing that in feminism where women of color different types of women are being or queer women are being forced to pick identities that if you somehow focus on the fact that this is a woman going through violence you're somehow trading your blackness you're whitewashed is what someone said to me it's quite sad and upsetting because obviously I'm not expecting, feminism is flawed, we're not all just going to like come together and be one happy family but at least we can kind of like iron stuff out.
2: And it's an added discriminatory pressure really isn't it because you as a black woman are having to make decisions about feminism that Caroline and I Mm. probably never have to make. So I guess to go back to the video a little bit, I personally wasn't offended by the violence in it but I completely understand that everyone has to make their Own choices about what they find personally offensive and what they don't. But I do think there was a lot of other really interesting stuff going on in the video. We touched on some of the symbolism at the beginning there. Um, A really great writer called Sunny Singh also pointed out the trunk in that video. You have the first shot with the legs poking out of the trunk, and you sort of think that's going to be. The victim murdered in the trunk. We also see the white victim's body in the trunk a lot. And then at the end of the video, Rihanna's the one in the trunk, covered in the accountant's blood, sitting on a pile of money uh, in this really triumphant pose, but that, that trunk still leaves it quite ambiguous.
1: Mm. Yeah, and Margaret Corvid, our New Statesman blogger, has written a piece as well saying that she found a lot of imagery from kink culture. In the video, so like you mentioned, the outfit that Rihanna wears when she's actually finally killing the accountant um, is this kind of um, see-through like latex dress. Rihanna loves latex. She (laughs) loves. She loves latex. latex. But Margaret was saying that um, this is, you know, practically, if you were just going to murder something, that is not someone. That is not the outfit you would choose. So she's she's making a very conscious choice there to identify with a kind of twisted BDSM pleasure, pleasure, ideology. And also it's about display. Like it's it's an outfit that really shows off her body, which feeds back into what June was saying at the beginning, that this is, this is for her. This is, she's owning this pleasure.
2: Yeah. And there's um, another brilliant writer who, uh, I think one of the best pieces out there about this song um, came out before the video was even out. Uh, and it's by Doreen St. Felix at Pitchfork. Uh, and it talks about some of the uh, the money aspect of the video, which I think a lot of people have found quite crass, mm. uh, which is this idea that it's all about money. She's literally rolling around in a pile of money at the end. And I think a lot of people find that to be a bit trashy. Doreen St Felix says, as a black woman whose artistic inventiveness outpaces her peers and music executives, by what feels like whole years, she will also be perpetually owed. To be a black woman and a genius is to be perpetually owed. If if there's a bit of a video that's empowering to me, it is when she gets the money back and she's literally saying, like, you know, you can try your hardest to make money out of my own creativity and not give me what I'm owed, but I'm always going to get it back at the end of the day. And the fantasy that she presents might be problematic in some ways for a lot of people. But I think that underlying message, whether or not you agree with how she mm. presented it, is really quite admirable, especially mm. from a black woman in the mainstream of pop um, music.
3: Yeah, I agree. I think her getting back her money, is, it's again, it's like it's that whole argument to female entitlement. And she's kind she's fought her way. I might not agree with the way she got there, but she did get there in the end. and She did kind of stand and say, yes, I've got my justice. Thanks very much, June, for coming in. And we'll link to her excellent piece in the show notes.
1: And now we're going to talk about Magic Mike XXL, which we both went to see this weekend. And, spoiler alert, we both thought was fantastic. (laughs) We
2: loved it. It was so good. It was just, like, everyone in the cinema was so excited. It was just a really, like, feel-good, delightful, joyful experience.
1: And we should say, so if you... I think neither of us actually saw the first Magic Mike film. No. (laughs) If if somehow you've managed to escape views of Channing Tatum's rippling torso on the sides of buses uh, in the last few weeks, Magic Mike and its follow-up, which is the film we saw this weekend, is the story of Mike, who is a... So a male entertainer is yeah. the, the phrase they use in the film. He's essentially a stripper and a dancer uh, with a, with the dream of owning his own furniture company.
2: Yeah, in case you already thought that Channing Tater might be Jesus, he's also a carpenter. So
1: <laughs> he is well on the way. <laughs> so the story of this film is, so Mike left his sort of dancing crew at the end of the previous film to you know pursue his love of being a carpenter. But in this film, he has gone got back with his buddies and they're going on one last ride to the this convention, this big stripping convention.
3: Nice to meet you. Yeah. Magic. Magic money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, And along the way they revisit some some old friends, Uh, they meet up with some people from their past, they have various adventures, and then the whole thing culminates in this great big routine that they do at the convention.
2: Yeah, it's one of the best things about it, I think, is that there's not too much boring, like, this isn't a big spoiler, but at the beginning of the film, you realise that Mike's fiance or would hope hoped to be fiance has left him and his furniture business is doing okay, but not brilliantly. Um, but there's not too much sob story. It's just, like, they don't need much of a reason to want to strip. Apparently in the first film, there's a lot more, like, oh, we all can't get lucrative jobs or capitalism is a bad thing we're all going to have to strip. Whereas in this one, it's just like, they love to strip.
1: It, <laughs> it's more, yeah, it's much more about their sort of sense, all of them discovering that there's there's no shame in what they do, that they really love it. And that's okay. I mean, as well as might be a carpenter, one of the other guys, he's got this froyo truck that he drives around a bit and he makes artisanal frozen yogurt, <laughs> which is just inherently hilarious. Various others of them have got other things that they do, but this is them finally accepting that this is what they love and this is what they're great at.
2: Yeah, there's a, it's meant to be sort of the final um, excursion for them, but it, it, I kind of, in my fan fiction-y head, believe that they then carry on stripping forever because they had
1: such a good time on this weekend. Absolutely, and one of the... I, I think Magic Mike... I don't even know how the film was conceived, but what it has become, and you can read about this a lot on the internet, it's become this kind of totemic thing for fighting back against the male gaze in movies because this is all about men's bodies, women enjoying looking at and touching men's bodies in a way that you just don't see a lot.
2: Absolutely, I mean it's almost a given that the female gaze is centred throughout the entire film, they do, sometimes this is really like overtly done in certain scenes, so there's a fantastic scene with Richie, who I think is my favourite who's like this tall, rippling Armenian guy. As as
1: Mike (laughs) says to him at one point when he's trying to boost his confidence you're just a Greek god, man. (laughs) He's a Greek god
2: and he's got enormous hands (laughs) which are very attractive Um, and he does a great dance uh, to Backstreet Boys uh in in a sort of gas station service station and it's a brilliant scene because it's it's just really really fun and joyful and he's like you know throwing Cheetos all over himself and bottles of water and the whole point of this is to try and get the cashier to smile and you just get these shots of her like looking and then shots of Richie's body and then back to the cashier and back to him and it's just really like this is about trying to satisfy a woman and it's just so it, it, on her terms exactly as well. yeah. on her terms finding out you know the, the fact that it, the language that they use a lot for this is trying to make a woman smile it's not like trying to make them love you or trying to make them worship you it's it's about how can i make the woman smile and it really brings a lot of the playfulness and the joy back into sex and desire yeah
1: and because and a lot of their dancing that they do is kind of simulated sex or exaggerated <laughs> yeah I mean it of, really
2: is it really
1: <laughs> is but they they do it with a kind of knowing smile on their faces a lot yeah. of the time sometimes they sort of break mid-dance and laugh that they are self-aware about how ridiculous it is the women are all laughing and having a brilliant time um there's no kind of serious a sort of grungy aspect to it. No, there's
2: not much sort of like moaning and and that kind of thing. It's more a sort of hist- almost hysterical laugh because yeah. it's just so exciting. And the final sort of one of the climactic moments in the film, again, this isn't really a spoiler, um between Channing Tatum and Amber Heard, is is smiley and he constantly he says to her like, "Oh, you're smiling. You've got your smile back." And they're both laughing and they're both a little bit embarrassed about what's going on, but there's just no, there's just so much fun involved that you just, it's irresistible. You can't help but giggle. And Caroline, you said that some of the people in the audience were kind of squirming in their seats in a slightly embarrassed way. Yeah, so
1: I, so this film, I realised afterwards had been timed to be released in America for 4th of July weekend. Um, And I would have loved to see it in that context, actually, to see it in an American cinema on that sort of, patriotic exciting holiday weekend and see how the different reaction is to me watching it in a cinema in Brixton on a Sunday evening in Britain on not a particularly special Mm. weekend so if if we do have any listeners who did do that we would love to hear what that was like because it was the most vocal cinema audience I've ever been part of Mm. and bear in mind this is Britain where you know people don't People don't like to clap or make expressions. Yeah, no one ever claps in the
2: cinema here. I don't know if that's the thing people do in America, but that's just. That <laughs> it's just, no, and
1: and people tend to, you know, they they might whisper comments to the person sitting next to them, but they don't. And apparel. Yeah, exactly, and they might laugh a bit, but they don't laugh uproariously, and they don't like. Sque-
0: Here's a cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact: you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states.
3: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: scream and shout and make them, but they did in the cinema and it was so joyful um but there was accompanying all of this kind of squeals of uh, ex- exhilaration and exasperation and excitement was this kind of slightly cringing inward <laughs> sense of we were all really glad to be watching it on the screen and not being the one who the dance was being done for. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I cannot tell you how much of a kind of full body cringe it gives me to think of actually being one of the women being sort of thrown around by I think the I dancers. actually would love
2: it. I'm just going to say it. I think I would love it. It looks like so much fun because there's so much like context beforehand where they're sort of very like kindly mm-hmm. to the women and like it's clear that they're sort of looking after them very well I think it looks quite fun
1: yeah I don't know but the, the general feeling in my cinema was that we're happy to be on this side of the screen yeah, sure. um and that that did feel quite british yeah. to be to be like yeah we're willing to get on board with this up to a point
2: there were um lots of embarrassed laughs in my screening at the there's a scene involving a sort of sex swing where she's sort of like this, this oh, for yeah, was- the audience is like in the swing and her legs are sort of strapped up in front of her so she's just like got her legs wide and then she's kind of left there for like ages while other things happen on different stages and that sort of you know listed a, a quite embarrassed giggle Um, But I think one thing that's really great, and and it's not in your face emphasised the whole way through this film, but um, there's so much inclusivity towards, Mm. on both sides actually, I mean, I know you mentioned that the the strippers, the male entertainers themselves, sort of a very diverse bunch, but... um, there's so many different women that they try to please throughout this movie. It do- Honestly, it doesn't matter if you're... I mean, I suppose there's a slight prerequisite that you're straight, but yeah. even then I think they would just do their best. Um, there's, you know fat women, thin women, black women, white women, confident women, shy women, women who are really out to, you know, like have an outrageous time, women who are there just to be with their friends and, you know, sort of watch from the sidelines. And all of these women, are, they, they try so hard to find out what's right for them. and like please them. A, a
1: really good example of that actually is when um, Donald, I was very surprised to see Donald Glover turning up in this film, mm-hmm. um, an actor and musician who I like very much from the sitcom community. Uh, and his sort of role in in the um the club that they visit where he works is that he sings and he improvises songs he dances but he also improvises songs for women he asks them a few questions about what's your name why are you here what's going on with you kind of thing and then he makes up a song for them and his whole thing is that he's doing that to make you feel special yeah that's... and so
2: for some women that's as exciting mm. as a strip so it's, it's tailored to the women in question and he
1: later refers to himself when he's talking to one of the other guys about how actually, you know what, what we do, it is really important. He's saying like, we're like healers, man. And that's really cheesy. And we should mention that as much as we did love this film, the dialogue in it is pretty <laughs> cheesy and quite rubbish. No one goes points. to Magic Mike
2: for the dialogue. Yeah. I'm just going to put it out there. Yeah, of so, course not. Guess.
1: Um, But the sentiment he's expressing there is, I think, an important one. That it's it's taking the kind of expression of sex and making it personal and female-centric and not boilerplate or porny in any way but there is one thing that you mentioned to me earlier that we should address which is the lack of penis.
2: Yeah, I do think if you're gonna if you're gonna make a film that's in you know meant to showcase these amazing strippers, there was a lot of talk about penis and very little actual penis. Mm. So I would love to have seen more of that. I basically wanted more stripping because the scenes that involve sort of fa- these fantastic—I mean, they're all incredible dancers. Lest we forget, Channing Tatum, you know, came through the Step Up movies, mm. but he's a brilliant dancer. All these scenes are so good that I could have watched them for twenty, twenty-five minutes at mm. a time. I didn't really need to see them, sort of, you know. In the bus or you know, I I wanted longer strip scenes, and I also wanted more nudity, because sometimes they'd do a strip and they'd still have their trousers and trainers on, and mm. that would be the end of the strip, and you'd be like, mm, that's not what I came to see
1: yeah (laughs) I mean there were speaking of the audience reaction the few times that they did get right down to their like tiny silver metallic thong or whatever and there was a bit of jumping up and down so you did at least see some movement in there there were some some excellent noises from (laughs) from my audience which makes me think that you're not alone in thinking that
2: one scene of full frontal nudity just one little moment I just think would have been the icing on the cake for me it just would have Mm. been like oh yeah you went there I'm so pleased that's Mm. all I needed that would have been great for me um, one thing I'd love to talk about though is the kind of the, the the brand of masculinity this mm. film encourages because the first sort of strip scene in inverted commas we see is in the trailer and it's Mike at his carpentry weldingy, you know, this archetypal masculinity um situation and he's sort of you know sparks are flying as he's I don't know what the word is for that thing where you kind of sand metal (laughs) I don't
1: know grinding maybe
2: grind it I don't know but he's doing all that and uh, you know dancing in his in his masculine studio and um laughs and kind of thinks oh stripping I remember that um and then they they're all on the bus, and he's kind of obsessed with his furniture business on his phone all the time. And someone throws the phone out of the window. That Richie throws his phone out. But if that for me was quite a, like leave these masculine pursuits behind. Mm. And then in, on the same journey later on the bus, they throw away the fireman's uniform, the naval uniform, all these kind of like classic tropes of like hyper masculinity. And they're all liter-
1: quite literally thrown out the window. They do a lot of littering. Yeah, I thought that was quite. I think that's quite. I cool. think that was awesome. And and I particularly I liked that the message that then they followed up with, where they were saying like, but you're you're not a fireman, so yeah. of course you're not going to dance with passion, pretending that you are a fireman. What are you? And eventually they said, I'm a male entertainer. That's what I do.
2: Exactly, and the message there kind of feels to me it's saying like this hyper masculinity is not necessarily what pleases women and you have to find out what pleases the individual woman and the real kind of uh moment that encapsulates that for me is richie who's this greek god that we've mentioned before he can't have sex he hasn't had sex in five months because his penis is so big that women just look at it and are like oh should we just have a hand job in this scenario because it's just enormous and that for me was like oh Actually, it doesn't matter how big your dick is, you've got to find a way to please mm. a woman outside and, of that. And
1: then how happy his friends are when he does finally find a woman yeah. who fits, as it were. Yeah, and, and, and she's not
2: young. No, she's not, you know, archetypally... I mean, she's a beautiful woman, mm. for sure, but she doesn't fit the... the, the femininity stereotype either. But then
1: the and 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 then the next morning all his friends are high-fiving him like you found the glass slipper man. Mm. Like you found the one that fits for you. Exactly. Like that's awesome rather than like you got laid. It's like you found this woman. It's brilliant.
2: Exactly. So that I've just felt like that was a real comment on saying like you know we're individuals. Hypermasculinity doesn't help anybody. Mm. And I love that. Mm. It was really revolutionary that and the female gay stuff together. It just mm. makes it such a healthy, wonderful, delightful
1: experience to watch. Mm. So as you can tell, we highly recommend that you go and see Magic yeah, Mike Yeah, go with XXL. your girlfriends because it's just so much fun. Mm. Um, there's also been some really great writing on the internet about the stuff, uh, the female gay stuff particularly that Anna mentioned that we yeah. will link you to in the There's two really the show good pieces nights. on
2: BuzzFeed that we'll link to.
1: Um, but yeah, in the meantime, go and let us know your thoughts. debuted in our first episode. Every week Anna and I are going to take it in turns to assign the other something to try that we've never tried before. As you may remember last time she made me a One Direction playlist and for this week I introduced her to the web series The Lizzie Bennet Diaries which is a web video adaptation of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. Anna what did you think of it?
2: Yeah, I thought it was really good. It's really, really clever. So basically, the conceit is that Lizzie Bennett is a vlogger. Who am I? I'm a 24 year old grad student with a mountain of student loans, living at home, and preparing for a career. But to my mom, the only thing that matters is that I'm single. My name is Lizzie Bennett, and this is my life. part of her thesis but I don't know what she thinks she's going to talk about when she starts
1: well I think because she's doing like a master's in sort of journalism or something and for their kind of digital media module or something they have to learn how to do video and this is what she comes up with and there begins the novel essentially Um, but the way
2: they've updated it, they've obviously had to be really clever. Pemberley is a tech company. Uh, Lizzie's trying to make it as a YouTube star. Mr. Collins has another digital web company. Uh, Bingley also. So, Mr. Mr Bingley, sorry. Yeah. Mr.
1: Bingley, uh, from the novel becomes Bingley, a Chinese American med student.
2: Yep. Uh, and. Fitzwilliam Darcy, I think, just becomes William Darcy, mm. and uh, Mr. Collins is still Mr. Collins, and that's considered very weird that he's weirdly formal. But yeah, so they've really brought all the characters into the modern universe, and it's quite subtle. I think it's not too in your face. Like Bingley, for example, that's not it's, it, as I you can tell by my slip just then. It feels quite natural that that's the the update.
1: Yeah, and also some of the characters are pretty much unchanged. So I think actually the the Bingley. Uh, Jane's storyline mm. is pretty much the same, isn't it? There's... Yeah, there's
2: no real interruption. The problem is still that Darcy convinces him that you know Jane only wants to be with him for his money. Mm. That that remains largely unchanged as a plot.
1: Um, I think the only thing where they had to make a big plot alteration, um, and this was to translate, was the the Lydia Wickham story, where in the in the book, uh, she runs away with Wickham. This sort of like slightly uh slightly questionable dashing young soldier with a reputation and they basically live together not and they're not married and um, this is you know a great shame upon her reputation and her family and in order to it's quite uh, it's quite hard to imagine how you would replicate that in the 21st yeah, century because really obviously difficult. just you know going off with someone who's not married and living together is going on holiday
2: with a he's not a soldier he's a swimmer but going on holiday with a swimmer is no uh, no big deal
1: so instead what they what they had to do to replicate that was they uh they imagined that um Lydia Goes off with Wickham and they make a sex tape, which she thinks is just for, you know, as part of their relationship. He then sells it to a website that if enough people pledge money is going to release it. You know, uh, the, the sister of famous vlogger Lizzie Bennett reveals all kind of thing. And so that's how they engender that sense of shame and embarrassment and reputation because as we know things live forever on the internet and so if this gets out then that's her whole life ruined every yeah, job application it's really she accurate, ever does
2: the, the sort of reputation aspect of it because it is it seems so archaic now the idea of a woman's reputation but actually that is that is exactly the, the modern equivalent especially because they give lizzie an element of fame there's constant sort of meta references to her viewers there's a lot of tension caused by whether people like darcy his sister people like that whether they're going to see the the videos that she's making so i suppose that's sort of the equivalent of gossip Mm, um
1: instead of balls there are video conferences or parties or nights out at the bar exactly
2: it's really cleverly um done and it it never there's never a moment where you're really sort of like oh that's weird they would never do that you know it's it's updated very smoothly i Mm. think
1: so I'm I'm glad that you liked it. It's <laughs> it's something that I've enjoyed very much, as previously mentioned. I really like Jane Austen and the sort of afterlives of her work generally. It's worth noting that this was I think the Lizzie Bennett Diaries aired about nearly two years ago now, and since then the sort of creative team behind it have formed their own web video company, <laughs> which, in so to, which in homage to which in homage to their first hit is called Pemberley Digital. Aww. And they have now produced a number of other web video adaptations um which I haven't really got fully into any of them I've sort of skimmed through but I have a friend who is very into Emma Approved which is the update of Jane Austen's Emma they've also done a sort of slight spin-off of the Lizzie Bennet Diaries actually which uses some of the material from Jane Austen's unfinished novel which is called Mm. Welcome to Sanditon they've also done one called the March Family Letters which is little women so this format has been so successful that they're now applying it to other books
2: yeah it's really cool it kind of reminded me of easy a did you ever see easy yeah, A? yeah which is the scarlet letter yeah. but that has a lot of similar kind of like speaking to
1: webcam video moments y- in it using the kind of modern day internet slut shaming narrative to exactly. parallel previous sort of adultery sort of stigma yeah
2: and that's that's high school which is quite common i think for these updates like clueless and so on which is emma to be set in a school whereas this they're all a bit older which sort of feels a lot more natural in the lizzie bennett diaries that they're all sort of mid-20s lizzie's 24 which is Mm. a much more accurate representation of of her age in
1: well it works much better in in the sense that because something i always slightly struggled with I, i mean i know intellectually that in the time Jane Austen was writing about uh, for someone as sort of supposedly pretty and interesting as Lizzie to mm. be still unmarried at her advanced age of 21 or something <laughs> like she's in the book was actually a serious mark against her. It's quite, I, I can appreciate that intellectually, but when you read it, it's easy to forget that this is someone yeah. who is borderline on the shelf. Yeah. Whereas you, you can get that a lot more in the Lizzie Bennet dies that like, she's 24 and she's never had a serious relationship. You know, yeah. you can see that.
2: One thing that sort of jarred with me a little bit is that I did find it a lot of it very American.
1: Yeah, same. <laughs> same. They you are just, very you, American. You just have to buy into that. I think yeah. you just have to go for it.
2: But for some I mean for but for some reason something like Clueless maybe because the the arena of the teen movie is already so Americanized yes, that it doesn't true. doesn't sound like a foreign tongue to hear, you know, the valley girls in Clueless. But um I think what made it more pronounced for me was Mr. Collins and Mr. Darcy having these they, they have american accents but they sound they're so formal and they sound much more austin-like mm. that then when, when you see darcy and lizzie speak for me the registers are so different that i i find it i found it much easier to see the contrast between them than i did the eventual union mm. so that yeah the union scene i mean it, obviously it's meant to be awkward because so much has happened that you know they've been so anti each other for so long but yeah, that that was something I had to get over. But I did get over after watching a few.
1: Yeah, I I agree. It does. It you, you do just have to let the Americanness wash over <laughs> you a bit. But I think I think what they tried to do with the the accents and the the language registers is because I guess putting it in that kind of American West Coast tech entrepreneur culture, you've come a long way from like British social classes of the 18th and early 19th century so I think they tried to use the formal, the relative formality of language to try and get across some of that because it doesn't really make quite as much sense to say well obviously Mr Darcy would never look at Lizzie Bennet because he's so highborn she's not (laughs) that doesn't really work so I think they perhaps to limited success tried to convey that sense of them coming from different worlds using their language I think I think what their hope was that you could say you're 16 and you watch a lot of youtube you could encounter this and enjoy it being only vaguely aware that there is a book that it's based on yeah you don't need you don't need to have read the book in order to get the joke I think yeah, was the definitely the idea.
2: and there were moments where i was like oh yeah is this is this when jane gets sick and has to stay or, mm. is, or is why is she not gone why is she back early you know mm. those those kind of minutiae of the plot they were just brilliant at really glossing over all of this
1: mm. So that was the Lizzie Bennet Diaries, and that was Anna enjoying it with a few reservations. <laughs> so, Anna, what, what are you going to give me to look at for next week?
2: For next week, I'm going to give you a Rookie yearbook. I don't know if you've ever seen Rookie. I,
1: I think I follow Rookie on Tumblr. Mm. Um, it's a magazine, right? Yeah, yeah. so it's,
2: it's, it's a wonderful thing. I think it's been going for about four years. It's Tavi Gevinson, who uh, you may know from her blog, The Style Rookie, mm. and... Uh, you know, f- the front row in like 2008 or something she was about 11 when she started a fashion blog um but quickly you know garnered a huge following because she's very very insightful about fashion and kind of critical both in the sense of being slightly skeptical and in the sense of being very analytical about it and she started a website called rookie i think in 2011 that's basically an online magazine for teenage girls and it covers a huge variety of topics from fashion is just you know a very small part of it but sort of life issues so whether that's sex masturbation having your period boys confidence how to shoot down a joke that you think's inappropriate how to you know be more inclusive how to speak up in class all these kinds of things but they also cover music films books they do a lot of photo shoots It's really—it's just a whole sort of universe, and it's got really, really strong aesthetic and brand. And I found it so exciting when it started. And so I think I'll give you the first yearbook to look at, which is basically a year of articles and tidbits Mm. and nice things and personal essays.
1: Excellent. I look forward to it.
2: for listening to seriously the pop culture podcast from the new statesman i'm anna
1: and i'm caroline you can find us on itunes where we'd love you to leave us a review
2: we're on twitter at seriously pod s-r-s-l-y pod
1: you can email us s-r-s-l-y pod at gmail.com and
2: you can find all the links that we spoke about on today's episode and more at newstatesman.com slash s-r-s-l-y
0: Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel.